Hello and welcome to That One Case, the podcast where lawyers share stories of the cases that influence their careers. My guest today is Ziad Nakasha, partner and co-founder of Carmel and Nakasha in San Luis Obispo, California. Ziad has extensive experience in corporate and insurance litigation, real estate and contracts, municipal law and family business and estate planning. And he also serves in several organizations, including the Professional Advisors Committee and the Central Coast Economic Forecast Board of Directors. On today's show, Ziad tells us about more than just a case that had a profound influence on him, but how his experience as a leader exposed ways in which he can positively impact the lives of his staff and of his community. I think I I can sort of synthesize it down to basically three different issues that I've dealt with. Um, One is um, insurance. Uh, One is about childcare. And one is about helping people that are underprivileged. Um, The insurance, and and, and they all sort of tie together, but the insurance one was helping a client of ours that was 91 years old, um, and she got into a car accident uh, and and unfortunately, um, you know, injured someone. Not a lot, but but enough where it was was a real issue for her. Um, Well, she had a $25,000 uh, liability coverage policy, um, and the claim was for five hundred thousand um, dollars. And here, here's this ninety-one-year-old. She just lost her husband. Her son has cancer. Her daughter's sick, and she's she's faced with this lawsuit. And you know, and I and I said to her, I go, why did you get? I mean, you have, you know, four or five hundred thousand dollars of assets. Why did you get a twenty-five thousand dollar policy? And she told me, my husband just died. My my son's sick. My insurance was running out, and I, I told uh, my broker, what's the cheapest one I can get? And so that's what I got. No one had ever right. sat down with her and said, let's look at your assets. Let's look at you know what you should be having in terms of liability coverage. And it became an issue for me because I started seeing so many people, both in car insurance and business insurance and real property insurance that, that are underinsured, don't have a conversation about what uh, liability exposure is. And so I try to get people to look at that from their perspective to protect their families. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's had a, an impact on me. Uh, the childcare mm-hmm. one, I went to a talk about childcare and uh, it was here in San Luis Obispo. It was done through the Chamber of Commerce and the uh, uh, the conversation was, was headed up by somebody at Patagonia, somebody at uh, Mind body and somebody at a company called Promega, very large companies in this area, um, yeah. who all had or were aspiring to have their own in-house childcare place. Okay. And I was sitting there. You know, I have a firm. We have about twenty employees, twenty-one employees, and I was mad. I was thinking, why are these people sort of preaching about the benefits of having a childcare center in-house, and, and how could how could a small business like me actually make a difference? And people asked those questions, and, and what they said was, well, you know, child care centers, uh, you can get together with a group of people, maybe other law firms, and create one, or maybe other accounting firms and create one. And I was just thinking that that's going to be fraught with, you know, problems. I mean, you're going to your competitors, and you're, and you're trying to create your own child, child care center. So I came back to my office, and I was thinking about it, and um, one, of, one of the people that I work with uh, you know, just asked her how she was doing. And, uh, and she said, oh, she's struggling at home. And I said, why? 
and she goes, oh, you know, she goes, I'm, I'm, I get home at six o'clock. My husband, uh, you know, uh, my, my son will not do homework until I get home. Uh, and my husband's French, so, so I can't really help him on homework. And, uh, and I looked at her and I said, why don't you bring your son in the office? And she goes, what do you mean? I go, well, we have office space. We have a conference room. We have upstairs, you know, have your son come here after school and you can work with him on your, on your off time. And he started coming in. It was pre COVID and he started coming in. Uh, and, and I, what I realized is that maybe you can make a difference. Maybe even a small employer can make a difference if they start thinking about it differently. Uh, and so I started getting more involved in the childcare uh, world here in San Luis Obispo and trying to help uh, people, you know, think about it in a different way. Um, and I think it's starting to make a difference. Um, the third thing is uh, um, dealing with people that are underprivileged. Um, what I learned during COVID, a very personal uh, experience, my, uh, one of my family members is handicapped and uh, you know I, I was talking to him and said how are you doing you know what's going on are you staying safe are you staying healthy and he said I'm not working right now and I'm like what do you mean you're not working right now and he goes well you know my employer is closed and I said oh yeah, that's right it's great I mean so everything so are they paying you how's that working on he goes well yeah they're paying me and I said great he goes well they're taking it out of my vacation I'm like they're paying you out of your vacation what do you mean uh, and he goes well they're, they're just using up my vacation as part of my compensation. So I had a call with the employer and I found out that they were just targeting him. Um, and everybody else was off, everybody else was being compensated, but they were making him uh, take his vacation. Uh, and, they, and they said to me, well, people that wanna work, they can, they can come in and, and work and, and grab their computer. And I said, he can't even walk. I mean, what do you, you want him to walk there and, and, and carry a computer? I mean, it's not, you know, whatever. And so it just, I, I was thinking about it and, and they eventually did the right thing, uh, which I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. But I, I was thinking about how many people are impacted like that and have no voice, have no advocates. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And so I think there's a real place for that in, in what we do as a living for a living. And that's something that yeah, people absolutely. can get behind and can, can get passionate about if they want to do it. Really, really interesting. Uh, I want to pick on, I guess, a bunch of things. Um, the first thing that occurs to me is that actually all of those things aren't really about a case as such or the first one i guess with the with the insurance case it is but actually they're much more sort of human softer skills stuff right uh, they're not necessarily about being a lawyer it's about being a you know um a, a good a good employer a good human being so one of the questions that i wanted to ask us was about you sort of mentioned your team member and sort of running this this child care side of things which is really cool how, how do you feel about your career now as it exists versus when you were a younger lawyer, when you were sort of practicing law much more frequently, I'm guessing, and, and now your job is more about kind of management and looking after people? How does that how does that transition be? I mean, maybe it's, that's not true. Maybe maybe that's not how you, you do things and you still are very active as a lawyer. Um, but sort of walk me through that, if, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I definitely, you're absolutely right. I was much more active as a lawyer uh, when I was younger. Um, I still practice law, you know, quite a bit, uh, but part mm -hmm. of it, I, I would say the, um, the human side of what I do is, is, is enjoyable. Uh, mm -hmm. The business development, the meeting people, getting to know people, understanding what the issues are. Um, I, you know, when I started practicing, it was just about learning how to fit in into a large firm and understanding what the requirements are going to be and how, how life works and, you know, in terms of 
you know, billing hours and, and bringing in business and, and uh, you know, figuring out how to, to finish all the work that you have. Um, yeah. There's still that aspect of it, uh, unfortunately, that never goes away. Um, and, uh, uh, and, but I think that um, I definitely enjoy this part a lot more because I'm able, I feel like I can actually make more of a difference. I didn't really get involved in uh, the nonprofit volunteering uh, world when I was um, first practicing. I just didn't feel like I had the time for it. And, right. and, I, and I wish I had. I wish I had done that more because it's so much more uh, rewarding and it makes me more passionate about work and it actually helps develop work. I mean, you're meeting mm -hmm. with people, you're dealing with people that you don't normally deal with, number one. Number two, yeah. they're, they're seeing you in the context of what you're passionate about. Um, and uh, so uh, I, I, I quite enjoy that a lot more. And I would encourage any young person to do more things that they really enjoy outside the practice. I know that they feel like they have no time to do it. So that's that's what was going to be my question. What what would you say to the younger lawyer that that uh, that feels like, hey, I've got a ton of work to do. I'm a I'm an amb ambitious young lawyer. Um, places to go, people to see. How do, how do you kind of incorporate these other aspects of it, which I'm sure do make your career that much more fulfilling? Um, I mean, for two reasons, I think, at least two reasons. One is it makes your career much more fulfilling. When you're doing something that you're passionate about, it gives you a goal. It, it tells you like, hey, I'm actually helping people and this is helping people in, in things that I love and, and I'm, that I'm passionate, whether it's handicapped or children or whatever it is that's important to you. Number one. And number two, frankly, for selfish reasons, um, your firm will notice, your partners will notice, your colleagues will notice, uh, and they'll be impressed that you took the time to do it and that you're, you know, making yourself look, uh, enhancing your reputation and also enhancing your, your law firm's reputation or your business's reputation by being involved in those things. Uh, so people, yeah. you know, it's, so it's, it's, it's definitely a win-win. I get that it takes the time. Everything takes time. So if you spent an hour a month on a board meeting, maybe an hour preparing for it, it's not a lot of time in the context of, of life. Uh, and it can make your work day so much more enjoyable by being part of something bigger. Yeah, absolutely. I, oh, that's wonderful. I couldn't agree more. Um, one thing I'd love to ask actually is is about uh, kind of local community. I think that's something that's particularly topical right now. We're in a in a a COVID world or a hopefully nearly post COVID world where where you know we're not um, going into the office as much. We're not uh, traveling uh, frequently uh, or at all in many cases. Uh, you know we're we're connecting virtually. Uh, I think that's leading a lot of people to really place a lot of value on their local community. I wonder if you um, kind of have, have thoughts on that, um, given the fact that you are talking a lot about your kind of local uh, community there in, in San Luis Obispo. I, I do. I, I, I really value that that piece. And I think absolutely. I, I think I think every community, for whatever reason, I mean, I think there's a lot of great causes that are uh, regional, California-based, national, mm -hmm. international. Uh, but you know, people have a, a way of looking at things locally uh, and trying to help out things locally. I was on a nonprofit board um, and uh, th they had a business partner committee and we were trying to get uh, more businesses involved in this committee. Uh, and it was for the Foundation for the Performing Arts Center. And one of our, our board members, the head of the, the, the group said, you know what, if we're trying to get people in this community 
to give, why not start with our vendors? Why not start with the people that we support? Uh, and, and really that's what it is. You're, you're asking people that you support to support your causes. They're asking you to support their causes. Uh, and it's a very, very community driven thing. That's how you're able to be, to, to continue to support people that are local and near and dear to you. Uh, that's how uh, you're going to, you know, increase the economy in the area that you're working uh, and supporting that. I mean, I, I, I think a lot of businesses that support businesses outside the area that don't have employees here, that don't have, uh, that don't, don't donate to the community here uh, are missing out on something. Uh, and, you know, if you're actually looking for growth or economic development or those kinds of things, then look at what talents do you have in the community. What an interesting set of stories from Ziad there. It's always great to hear about the small changes and interventions people make and the enormous positive impacts they have on others. A huge thank you to Ziad for sharing his story with us today. If you want to find out more about him and Carmel and Nakasha, you can find all the links in the show notes at thatonecase.com. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it with someone you think would also find it interesting. All the details on how to listen to the show are at thatonecase.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you again next time as Omid Zareh tells us the story of That One Case.